Hey, I have missed you guys so much. I really have. I've been MIA for the past month, and um, thanks for those of you that texted me, checked in on me, prayed for me. Um, coming along quite nicely. I'm about halfway through the healing process. I said it feels, I think it feels good to be out of sweatpants. I mean, they're pretty comfy, let me just tell you. I'm getting used to them, but um, it feels good to be out of my chair and dressed in real clothing tonight. So I felt like the Lord gave me a distinct word during worship that I want to share um, because I think, I think it applies specifically to some of you tonight. Um, at, as I was walking around praying, the Lord just kept showing me circles, and I felt like he said that there are those of you here in the room tonight that feel surrounded, like you, you feel like you're spinning in circles, and for some of you, it's a relationship issue, for some of you, it's, it's, it's a habit, whether it's just a bad habit or a sinful habit, you just feel surrounded by that thing, you feel trapped. Um, for some of you, it's a job. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but you're feeling surrounded. I just keep seeing, seeing these circles. And, and then God gave me a scripture to share with you. Psalm 32.7 says this, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So I love that. You, you think you're surrounded by that thing that has you trapped, but he's saying, no, I have you surrounded with songs of deliverance. And you know what that means? When you're spinning around and you're saying, I, I can't find my way out of this thing. It, if he's surrounding you, that means it doesn't matter where you're looking, he's there. He's there, he's surrounding you. And, and what I love, if you go to the original meaning of this scripture, it actually translates as, he spins me around with shouts of escape. So here's the thing, maybe you're supposed to be spinning because he's trying to point you in the direction of your way out. He's gonna open that up. So as you're spinning around, don't, don't be panicking, don't be freaking out. He's opening up, he's spinning you around with shouts of escape, and you're going to find your way out of that thing. So God, I just, I just want to pray over that word tonight, however it applies, whoever it applies to, and I just trust that you are going to use it to minister to hearts tonight, that you are the one that surrounds us. You are the one that spins us around with shouts of escape, and whatever that thing is that's got us trapped and encircled, you are the answer, you are the solution, you are the way out, and we are trusting you and believing you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all are quiet tonight. I mean, I know you're a small group, but just a little, are, are you, I hope you're breathing. Um, so yeah, we're kicking off a two-part series called Relationship Goals, and uh, tonight is Dating 101. Next month will be Dating 102. And so tonight you're stuck with me. Next month, we have a panel. We're gonna have three couples that you know and love from Lifeway. I'm not gonna tell you who they are. Three couples that you know. And we're gonna be asking them some questions about dating and how they handled engagement and purity and what were some of their wins, what were some of their failures, what, what, you know, what were some of their early marital adjustments, those kinds of questions. So if you want the inside scoop, Make sure that you are here again next month. <clears throat> so when our kids were little, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know where I came up with this, but we told them that God, I mean, they were little when we started this. So we said that God had a special boy for them, a special boy. And we didn't say a special man because that's creepy when you're three. So we said God has a special boy for you. And so we would pray for their special boys. If we had had boys, we would have been praying for their special girls. And so I'm guessing most, if not all of you in this room tonight are on that same 
journey looking for your special boy or your special girl. <laughs> Sister in the back there. <laughs> and so, you know, we, at the beginning of the year when we were planning this series and we thought, who would be the best person to come and talk about this with you tonight? Who would be someone that, that would really know what to say? And, and the more we talked about it, the more Gary and I prayed about it, I said, I want to do it because I'm their mom. <laughs> and I said, I don't trust anybody else to say what needs to be said because I don't want anybody to, uh, to hurt my, my children, you know? I don't want, my my heart and what I've prayed my head off for tonight is that you all leave with hope, no matter where you are in this journey toward finding your special person, that you leave here with hope tonight. I want you to be encouraged. So so that's that's why I'm talking about this tonight. And and honestly, it it was probably four months ago, one time I was taking a walk. I usually walk in for the mail and back. It's like a half hour walk. And one time when I was walking, God gave me this entire thing and I got back and I was like, I got to write this down as fast as I can possibly type before I forget it because he just, he was just so clear. I'm sure you've heard a lot of speakers talk about dating and marriage. You might have read books, you might have read blogs, I don't know. But this is what God laid on my heart for you tonight as your mom. So hear it from that perspective. Uh, you know, all of your stories have been different up to this point. And, you know, I just remember when my kids were younger. I mean, Molly's married now, but Hannah's not and just got her heart broken. I think it was less than two weeks ago. And so I get, a you know, a text at 1.37 exactly in the morning saying, can you call me and pray for me? <laughs> and so that's what mamas do is they, they FaceTime their girls at 1.37 in the morning to pray. But used to say to my girls, really almost nobody gets through the teenage and young adult years without either getting their heart broken or breaking somebody else's. And so if you're here tonight and you're thinking you're the only one, I'm just here to tell you, you're not. It is just part of the journey. It's not the fun part. It's the ugly part. We all like to avoid it. But most of us have been there. And for me, it happened the the worst heartbreak when I was 16. So I met... Kevin, last name will stay neutral because he lives in Lancaster County and you might know him. So so I met Kevin when I was 14 and Gary knows all these stories and he's the love of my life. So he's not threatened hearing me talk about Kevin, all right? But I met Kevin when I was 14 I went with a friend to some of her youth group activities and there, you know, there were just sparks. There was just that we kept making eye contact and it would just last a little longer than is normal. And I, you just, I just knew, I just knew. But I wasn't allowed to date till I was 16. And so I would, you know, run into him at all these activities. And I turned 16, and would you know, Kevin went and asked out one of his old girlfriends. And I was devastated. I'm like, seriously, dude, I've been waiting two years for this. And you go and ask her out. And so I was, I was pretty devastated by it. And so I had a couple of other guys ask me out. Never went on more than like, you know, maybe two, three dates at the most with any of them. Um, But, you know, so that was the first heartbreak that that I waited all that time for nothing. So then I got to be like 16 and a half, and lo and behold, Kevin breaks up with the other girl, and he asks me out. And I'm thinking, all my dreams have come true. We are going to date for several years. We'll get married. We'll have lots of little babies, and life will be good. And, 
After three months, which to me at age 16, three months in a relationship felt really, really long and substantial, okay? And um, after three months, Kevin broke up with me on a Sunday night after we'd been at the beach for the weekend with some other friends. I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't, I, I mean, like looking back, I could read some signs, but like I was clueless and I was devastated. And I remember very distinctly, I cried for two hours after he left that night. And it was over summer vacation, it was in June. And I remember I got up the next morning, Monday morning, and I sat on the couch and cried for four hours, four hours. And then that night I went over to my best friend's house and I told her the whole tale of woe and I cried some more. So. It was just devastating because not only was I so humiliated, it was like, he was the one. Like, he was supposed to be the one. And like, now what do I do? Like, the rest of my life is ruined because of Kevin. I had, and this was the kicker, okay? While I was dating Kevin, we had double dated with another couple. So after we broke up, guess who Kevin starts dating? The girl from the other couple, which who he eventually married. I had no idea that four months later I would meet Gary, and he was actually the real love of my life. And believe it or not, Kevin and his wife and Gary and I, we were youth group leaders together for several years in our church and became very good friends. That is possible. It is really possible after getting your heart broken to be friends with a person. But here's what I want you to hear tonight, and I'm going to say some things that I, I just want you to just really hear what I'm saying and hear my heart. Um... I think the church has done you a disservice. And when I say the church, I don't mean life way. I mean, I mean the church at large. Because I think what they've tried to do is wrap this whole dating and marriage thing up in a nice, neat little package. And if you follow these five easy steps, you too will find the person of your dreams and live happily ever after. And you are old enough and wise enough to know that that is not necessarily true. It doesn't work out quite that neatly. I think that people try and create a formula. And you know, there are a few people where the formula seems to work, but I'm not so convinced it's the formula as it is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in those circumstances. And so, you know, you already know this much. Someone's gonna have to ask someone out and someone's gonna have to say yes, right? That's really the only part that's gonna be the same for all of you. I mean, really, that's it. That's the formula right there. And so I'm not going to give you a formula tonight because there isn't one. And you will just go out of here convinced that something is wrong with you if the formula doesn't work. And I think you deserve better than that. I'm convinced that you deserve better than that. So here are the questions. Is it okay to meet someone on a blind date? Can you go out with someone that you find on Tinder? Do you have to... Do you have to meet somebody at church or could you meet them in a bar? Would that be okay? How long do you have to date before you get engaged? Can you date three months or do you have to date a year? And then how long should you be engaged? You know, does it have to be six months or could it only be two? And I'm not gonna give you formulas because there aren't any. Because it's all so unique to the story that the two of you write with Jesus. And so I I hope that sets you free tonight. It might feel scary. You want the formula. Like, give me a formula so I can check off the boxes and I know I did the thing. But that's, it's just not, I want to say it's not that simple. It's, It's actually, it's better than a formula. Falling in love with someone is more of an art 
than a science. Falling in love with someone is more of an art than a science. And so I'm going to be real careful tonight about giving you my opinion. Because what happens is if a certain formula worked for somebody and they're like, well, this is how I found true love, then they try and make it into a formula that should work for you. Or maybe they actually failed epically in the dating or marriage arena. And so they create a formula out of their failure and you're supposed to do the opposite of what they did in order to find success. Here's the thing, I think you have the ability to listen to the voice of God. You have the ability to dig into his word. And I think you are, you are able to handle something better than a formula because I think that's what God wants for you. <clears throat> so what does the Bible say about dating? Let's go back to square one. What does the Bible say? The word dating does not show up anywhere in the Old or New Testament. They had a completely different culture, a completely different way of doing things. And so you'll read in the Bible about be people being betrothed. And being betrothed was like a little beyond engaged, but a little less than married. It was, it was something else that we don't really have today. So it's a completely, completely different culture. But you have to think to yourself, okay, listen, if God is all-knowing, right? He knew that someday you were going to be living in 2019 in this culture, and that betrothal wasn't going to really apply to your life. Arranged marriages weren't going to apply to your life. And so we have to trust that his word gives us what we need. It is God-breathed. It is divine inspiration. And so I'm convinced that his word, and I'm going to try and prove it to you tonight, gives you everything you need for this dating journey that you are on. There might not be a biblical perspective for dating, but there is a biblical perspective for living. Did you catch that? There is a biblical perspective for living that you can apply to dating. And that will not fail you. You know, your feelings are real. And feelings can be a terrible guide because sometimes we make really dumb decisions or we say stupid things based on our feelings. But they're legitimate. You know, if you feel hurt, if you feel rejected, if you feel lonely, I think somehow we feel like we have to act like it didn't really hurt, like we're not really lonely, like we're not disappointed, like our heart isn't broken, because that feels like the Christian thing to do, and it's just so humiliating, right, to let people know how we feel. But your feelings are real, and, and I, I don't want you to, to feel like you've got to cover anything up tonight. Like, we just... I just want you to, to feel hope wherever you are in this journey. So I'm not going to offer you a formula, but here's what I am going to offer you. I'm going to give you some biblical wisdom and some biblical hope. And my heart is that you will leave here with that wisdom and that hope and that it's going to just set you a little freer tonight to go out and trust God with what the, the next part or the rest of your journey looks like in terms of dating. So... I'm going to say some things that are really honest. I'm going to tell you some things about Gary and I that are really honest because that's, that's what a mom does and somebody's got to tell you the truth, okay? So here we go. Here's the first one. Don't let anyone make you feel like you need to apologize for wanting to get married. Man, I feel emotional saying that because we live in a culture that has tried to make marriage a joke and, and it's tried to 
The value of marriage and family has gone increasingly down in the eyes of the world. And unfortunately, some of that cynicism has crept into the church as well. And I think I've seen too many people feel like they're embarrassed to admit that they would really, really like to get married. And I'm here to tell you tonight, don't let anybody make you feel embarrassed or stupid or naive or needy because you have a desire in your heart to have a spouse and to have a family someday. That makes you completely normal. And that is the way God intended it. You know, we applaud people like, you know, I want to go to college because I feel like I want to be a doctor. Good for you. That's, a, that's an awesome goal. You know, I'd, I'd like to start a business and we, and, we, and we cheer people on. But if somebody says, I'd really like to get married, I'd really like to have a family, we, we can act the world, I say we, I don't mean we, but the world can make you feel like that's a little subpar in terms of goals. And it's really not because it was designed by God from the very beginning. How about it? People, people make it their business to get involved in your dating life, right? Everybody has something to say about it. And sometimes they say really dumb things like, it'll all work out in God's perfect timing. You know, or you just got to go ask somebody out. Like that would just solve it all. In five seconds, you could solve this problem. They say, oh, don't be in such a rush. Take your time. Enjoy life. Enjoy being single. You know, people say all of these cliche lines. And, you know, some of them might actually be true, but they're not helpful. And I want you to know that, first of all, most of the time when people are making those comments, it's because they actually care. It's because either they are happily married and they want that for you, or they are not happily married and they want more for you than what they have. And so I I really believe that most times people's hearts are genuine, but that doesn't mean those words don't sting a little bit when you hear them. Might be true, but it's not helpful. Genesis 2.18 says this, so we're, we're taking it back to the very beginning. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Straight from the mouth of God, he said, it's not good to be alone. It's not good. Marriage was his idea from the very beginning. So yeah, you could, yes, we all have God. So technically we're never alone, right? And we have other friendships, you know, with both genders and they can be very, very rich and very meaningful. But marriage is a whole different ballgame. In Proverbs 18.22, Solomon says this to his son, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. If Solomon had been writing to a daughter, he would have said, she who finds a husband finds a good thing. So the Bible makes it clear, getting married, it's, it's a good thing. It's good for you to have a partner in life. It's a good thing. You don't need to apologize for it. If God said that to the very first person he created, you better believe it applies to everybody in this room as well. And I'm not, I'm not here to address the idea of is, is everybody called to be married? I believe that for most people, the answer is yes. That's my opinion. I don't, I don't know why it doesn't happen for some people who really want it. I can't explain that to you, and that's probably another topic for another time. But I do believe for the most part, if that's the desire of your heart, it's because God put it there, and that's totally fine. But here's the thing, you, 
you were designed for connection. You were designed to love and care for other people. And marriage offers something that just mere friendship does not. And I know what you're all thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, sex. That the great part about getting married is you can finally legally, according to God's word, have sex. And that is true. That is one thing that sets marriage apart biblically, and that is by God's design. But I'm not, I'm not just talking about sex. So I'm going to be really honest with you here, okay? And if you're cringing, it's kind of dark in here, so I'm not embarrassed to talk about this. If you are, I apologize, but I'm just going to say it straight, okay? All right. I can tell you that after almost 32 years of marriage, if the best part of marriage was sex, a lot of people would be in a whole lot of trouble, okay? I had surgery three weeks ago. You know what? The doctor and the nurse and like everybody that came in my office before I went home, they all looked me in the eye I said, and they said, all right, no sex for six weeks. And then the next one would come in, sign some papers and say, now, just remember, take it easy, don't lift more than seven pounds and no sex for six weeks. I mean, they just, man, they made sure we heard that message loud and clear, okay? We're only three weeks in, people. It's been a long three weeks. It's been a long three weeks. I'm happy I can say that, that after being married all those years, I actually miss making love with my husband. And I'd really like to fast forward on the next three weeks. But here's what you have to know, guys. This isn't our first merry-go-round with this thing. I've had so many surgeries and so many health issues. We've done this before. I think this is the longest it's ever been, but we've done this before. And this is when you find out what your marriage is really made of. Because if it was just about the fact that now we can have sex, Gary and I would be in a lot of trouble right now, right? And you know what? We're having a blast. He took me for groceries last week. <laughs> he took me for groceries last week because I couldn't drive, I can't lift anything. And he, you're gonna laugh. I can't wait for you to understand this. He made that night so fun for me. We were cracking up in the grocery store. I'm like, I feel like such a loser. If I said, if I saw, if I saw couples like us in the store and the husband was driving, pushing the cart, putting everything in the cart, uh, loading it on the belt, bagging the groceries, I said, I would think that woman is such a loser, <laughs> you know? And so we're just like cracking up and Gary goes, okay, I'll take care of it. And he looks at the cashier and he goes, just so you know, she had surgery and she's not allowed to do any of this. So we're having fun. We're not having sex, but we're still having fun. All right, and so you need to know, like, like I know you're so anxious for the day when it can be you and your spouse, and, and it is wonderful. I'm not downgrading sex at all. I'm just saying, your relationship better be built on a whole lot more than that, because when the hard times come, there's gotta be a foundation beyond that. I hope you hear my heart in that. I hope you hear my heart in that. You're gonna see couples who've been married a long time and are still crazy about each other. I love to see an old couple holding hands. I'm just like, oh, it just gives you hope, you know? Like, I think I used to think when I was younger, like by the time you got to be like 60, you just didn't care anymore. And I'm like, oh, oh no, that's not true. That's not true. I love to watch old love. There's something about that, people that have weathered the storms of life together and have done it well. This past year, um, Monday, 
was the 35th anniversary of our first date. And Tuesday was the 33rd anniversary of the day that Gary proposed. And it's just fun to reminisce about that and see how far we've come. It's a good thing. And you don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed that you want it for yourself. I hope that encourages you to keep moving forward and to wait for it because it's, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Here's my second point. Don't you dare date someone who doesn't love Jesus. Lots of things change from one generation to the next. My mom probably got um, her first microwave in her 40s. I couldn't have imagined starting marriage without one, all right? Let's talk about cars. When my grandma was little, her, her mother was a widow, and so she and her three daughters, my grandma being one of them, they walked everywhere. Would you walk several miles to get here tonight? They walked to school. They walked everywhere, walked to, walked to the doctor, walked everywhere. So when, my, when I was little, my parents shared a car, and so mom could only take it if dad wasn't at work. We've had seasons of life where we've had, you know, work vehicles and so forth. We've owned three or four vehicles at a time. It's really unusual for us to not both have access to a car. So lots of things change from one generation to another. Thank God, right? Dating an unbeliever is not one of them. Dating an unbeliever is not one of them. This is not where you want to compromise. And and I think the lines between Christians and non-Christians have gotten blurry, right? Today, we look a lot the same, and we use a lot of the same language. We do a lot of the same activities. We do the same kinds of jobs. And how do you relate to the world without being part of it? It's, It's a tough thing. You, in your generation, you have so many opportunities that we didn't even have with, you know, with social media and dating apps. I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of opportunities for connection. There is a whole world out there, but it was not all meant to be yours. It was not all meant to be yours. John 17, and this is a really broad paraphrase, but it basically says, listen, you are on a mission. I've sent you out. You're an agent. And your job is to go out there and draw people to Jesus. And then he says, it's okay to rub shoulders with the world, just don't let the world rub off on you. Broad paraphrase, worse than the message. Now, so we're, we're supposed to point the way to Jesus um, in our other relationships with neighbors, with coworkers, maybe, maybe relatives. Like that's our job, right? We want to introduce them to Jesus. So why does this not apply to a dating relationship or a marriage? What's different about that? Well, first of all, the Bible is flat out clear on this. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Let's talk about this scripture a little bit. First of all, the word unbeliever. We're not saying it like a hate word, like we hate unbelievers. It really is just translated someone without Christian faith. That's what it means. Don't yoke yourself to someone who doesn't share your Christian faith. And the second part means don't yoke up differently with those who serve other gods. 
Now, I don't mean like literally bowing down to other idols, although they may, but they may idolize self. They may idolize money. Anything that's an idol other than God means you are not yoked equally. Now, you might say, but we have so much in common. We both, you know, it, it says here, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Well, we have a lot in common. We both love Marvel movies, you know, or we both love Michael Buble or whatever it is. We have, we have all these things in common. That's not really what it means. You're not sharing in common the core. Honestly, when Gary and I met, I don't know that we shared much in common at all, except we like to go to the movies. I mean, we have now morphed into something where we share some common hobbies that we like, but, but for the most part, that we didn't really have that in common. So that's, you know, that's not a valid excuse and it doesn't hold up scripturally. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Do you remember when you were a kid and someone in your elementary class would get glasses? And everybody would be like, oh, let me try them on. I want to try them on. And so you'd you know, pass them around and somebody else would put them on and they'd be like, whoa, this is so weird. And, and everything's kind of like wonky and warped and twisted because it's not the right prescription for you, right? Here's what happens if you date or marry an unbeliever. You end up wearing their lenses and it is not your prescription, and you will begin to view things the way they do because you're spending time with them. You will begin to think about things, ponder things, make decisions through their lens, and it's not your lens. You're supposed to be looking at things through the lens of scripture, and they're not. How about it when you put those glasses on, if you tried to like ride a bike down a hill with somebody else's prescription, you're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> You really are. And honestly, you could end up hurting other people too, right? The same thing happens if you try to wear the, the lenses of an unbeliever who you're dating. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people. And that, those other people might someday be your children. God wasn't messing around when he said this. He wasn't saying it to be cruel. He wasn't saying it to eliminate half of your dating options. He was saying it to be kind and gracious to you because he knew what would be best for you. Even the nicest unbeliever in the world is wearing different lenses. They're wearing different lenses. Now, I'm going to say something else, and, and I want you to hear me clearly on this. I'm, I'm being recorded, so i got to be able to, to stand behind what I'm going to say to you, okay? A lot of people think the biggest reason to not date an unbeliever is because they might be influenced into having premarital sex. And if you're a Christian, you know that that is not God's design. And you're afraid that if you date somebody who's an unbeliever, they're going to pressure you and you might give in. Okay? Here's, here's my statement. This is going to shock you. But having sex before you get married is not the worst thing in the world that you could do. Hear me out. If you put on the lenses of your, of your non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend, it's not just gonna affect how you feel about sex, it's gonna affect how you feel about everything, all right? It's gonna change the way you feel about money and tithing. Are they gonna want you to tithe? It's gonna affect the way they feel about raising children. It's gonna affect the way they feel about how you spend your time. It's gonna affect every decision you make. 
That's the problem. That's the problem. Is it, it affects the, the, the big picture. It affects all of it, not just the having premarital sex. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? It, it, affects, it affects the way you look at everything if you put on those glasses. And, and you know, I think what happens is, and, and I've watched this with couples that are unequally yoked, is, is the Christian begins to make little compromises just because it's easier. They don't want to have an argument. They don't want to pick it fight. And so if there's a difference of opinion, the Christian generally just takes the low road and it was like, I don't want to kick up a fuss, so we're just going to do it their way. And little by little by little, you begin to make decisions and choices that you don't actually agree with, but it keeps the peace. And that's where you're going to run into trouble. And then you bring children into the mix, and it's going to get even more confusing. Listen, Gary and I have made millions of decisions together in the last 32 years. We've bought two houses, we've had two children, lots of surgeries, job changes, financial strain, health issues, um, cancer. And, and you know what? You know what the best part about all that was? Is we were wearing the same lenses. And so everything that happened to us, whether it was good or bad, some of those things were good, some of them were bad. No matter what was happening to us, we were always viewing it through the same lenses. What does God want to do? Where is God in this? How can we encourage each other spiritually? And I'm telling you what, that takes a whole lot of stress out of the really hard times when you and your spouse are looking at things from the same perspective. It keeps you together when everything out there would try and tear you apart. You can share a house with anybody. You can share dinner with anybody. You can share your body with anybody, but sharing a God, that takes it to a whole different level. And it is the thing that will take your marriage from being mediocre to really awesome if you're wearing the same lenses. Here's my third point. The red flags are there for a reason. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. Let me say this first of all. I, I know people who have dated unbelievers and said, well, I prayed about it and I asked the Lord, like if I shouldn't be dating them, like give me a red flag. And I didn't see any red flags. I didn't hear like God said I shouldn't. And I remember literally looking at somebody one time and saying, you don't need a red flag. <laughs> he already said it in scripture. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You don't need a red flag for that, honey. God was already really, really clear. But the waters can get equally muddy when you're dating believers, because how about it? Not all Christians are created equal. Is that not true? So what do you do about those that profess to be Christians? And on the surface, it would seem that you're wearing the same lenses, but you have these red flags that pop up. So it's just natural. When you, when you feel yourself starting to fall for somebody, you know, you're, something about your, your hormones and your emotions just go like off the rails. And it's like you make decisions and you're not even in your right mind because, and I say it laughing just because I've done it, like I know what that feels like. It's like you're not even thinking rationally because you're like, oh, I'm this person and you know. So I'm here to tell you this, when you're in that situation, it makes it really hard to see clearly 
and to, to identify the red flags. In those situations, the best thing you have going for you is the Holy Spirit. That's gonna sound really cliche, but let me, let me work it out with you. Remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, you need to eat your vegetables before you get dessert. You need to be in bed by nine o'clock. And at the time, you thought your parents were just mean and old and boring, and they didn't have a clue about how hard it was to be a kid, right? And now at this age, you're like, oh, wow, they were actually looking out for me. They were trying to make sure I was healthy, that I was getting adequate rest, that, you know, they were actually saying things that were for my good. The Holy Spirit is the best thing you got going for you because he is like your inner parent. And he is telling you what is good for you. And you might not always like it, but he is always right. He is always right. It is always for your good. John 14, 26 and 27, it says this, but the advocate, and an advocate is just someone who's fighting for you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I see a lot of people that are afraid to get married because they've seen it get really ugly. And, and I get that. I, I'm not saying that Gary and I are happily married because we're so awesome. I, I, I see marriages that should have worked and didn't. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing any of that. But this, this verse, the Lord is promising you a peace. And he's saying, you don't need to be afraid. I, my girls had some friends when they were um, younger and these friends had um, parents that were really, really unhappily married. Um, I would say, I would say, really bad on the on the spectrum of of relationships. And um, one of them texted me like four months ago. I had not talked to her for years, and she said to me, "Thank you so much to you and Gary for modeling me, modeling for me what a healthy marriage could look like." because she was afraid. I mean, she didn't even really date. She had opportunities. Lots of guys were interested in her. She didn't even really date because she was petrified. And she said, you guys gave me hope that maybe it was possible for me. And I didn't realize that when she texted me that, she had actually started dating somebody. And she just got married a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, good for you, honey. Good for you. You took the peace that the Lord gave you and you decided, I'm not gonna let my heart be troubled and be afraid. Um, so I, I, it was just, it was so great. But this, this is what I wanna say about the Holy Spirit. It says here, I'll teach you things. So things you don't know, but he does. He can, he can tell you that. And secondly, he says, I'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Because what happens? Sometimes we forget. When our emotions and our hearts get involved with somebody else, sometimes we forget what we know. We forget what's true. And he's saying, that's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to be in there being like, um, just a minute. Do you remember? Do you remember what we talked about before? And he'll remind you of what is true. So you don't have to be afraid. I think sometimes when people say they're not hearing God, it's just that they're not hearing what they want from God. They want God to you know, rubber stamp their relationship and he's not doing that. So they say, I, I don't, I'm not hearing God right now. Listen, we, we've all had times where we've been attracted to people that we shouldn't have been. 
And I don't want to make anybody feel bad for that. I mean, I had those opportunities too. You know, I, I think of a particular guy in high school and I knew he was interested in me, but like he, he wasn't a Christian. So I just never, I just never even opened that door. <clears throat> I pretended I didn't know that he was interested, quite frankly. I just pretended I was clueless and it happened to work, but that doesn't mean it always would. But nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to go out and find Mr. Wrong today. Nobody wakes up and says that. No, nobody in this room is saying that. You, you want to get this right. Here's how the red flags work. I met Daryl. Okay, so I'm, I'm throwing a lot of 80s names at you. Kevin and Daryl. Just wait till you hear the next one. <clears throat> so Daryl... Uh, my, my best friend in high school worked for Daryl's dad. And so I went to see her after work one night and Daryl was there and I was wearing my softball uniform and I, I don't know, I guess I looked really good. And he, I had never had a guy so blatantly flirt with me and tell me how good I looked. And the truth was I sat on the bench. I hardly ever played, but he didn't know that, right? And he kept saying things like, man, your eyes. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, right? But like I was, I think I was 15 and you're like, oh my word, he likes my eyes. And you just, you're just like, lose your mind over it. And so like, so he was like hardcore flirting with me and it felt great, quite frankly. It felt really good to be noticed because usually my best friend had, she went from one boyfriend to the next, to the next, to the next. And I was usually the odd man out. I was, I third wheeled a lot for her. So, um, Incidentally, and it was not because I thought he was so cute, which, which he really was, um, not as cute as Gary, but he was, he was cute. So I ended up working for his dad. And man, the flirting just continued. Let me tell you, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but we even made out a few times when his dad wasn't around. Um, and I, <laughs> if, if physical attraction was the only reason to be interested in somebody, I would have married Daryl in a heartbeat. But man, I could not ignore the red flags. He went to church. He did go to church. But I knew he wasn't sincere about his faith and his walk with the Lord. I mean, he even showed up at my house a couple times unannounced. And somehow the Lord gave me strength to just continually say no. And, and I thought about it when I was, when I was preparing for tonight. Like just, it just reminded me of of Joseph in Potiphar's house, when it says how his, his, Potiphar's wife came to Joseph day after day after day, and finally he just had to flee. He was like, I, just, I have to get out of here. And that's kind of what I did. I just, I just had to be like, I, I gotta get out of here. And I did eventually, I quit that job and never saw Daryl again. Um, no idea what happened to him, but. But here's the thing, okay, so the, the, the next guy I dated, his name was Glenn. All right. Now, Glenn was not good looking, <laughs> but we had so much in common. He went to my church, so I knew him really well. Um, we shared the big three, like music, God, and humor. And, you know, we liked the same songs and like he was just really easy to be with. We had great conversations, but I felt the red flags. I knew they were there and I couldn't pin it on anything. It's not that he did or said anything that would have made me say I should run, but I just knew. And I, we, we weren't dating seriously, it was very casually, we just had a couple of dates, but I sensed that it could get serious. And God in his goodness introduced me to Gary during that time I was seeing Glenn. 
And I actually broke up with Glenn on a Sunday night so I could go out with Gary on Monday night. And I, I think God spared me because I heard things about Glenn and some of his choices later. And I'm telling you, I would be standing here either miserably married or divorced right now if I had stayed with Glenn. I know that. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The red flags were there for a reason. It was the Holy Spirit saying to me, run for the hills. This is not going to end well. You got to listen to the red flags because they're there for your good. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. Don't quench it because eventually you just won't hear it anymore. You'll just block it out. And so if he says, this one's a no, you say, thank you very much. And you move on and you don't second guess it. It'll probably make sense later, even if it doesn't at the time. Don't ever put down roots where you should be chopping down the tree, okay? Number four, stop looking for the perfect person. He or she does not exist. This one's tough because sometimes there's something about somebody that irritates you or scares you, and and in some cases, you really should just run. You should just go. You should get out of there. On the other hand, if nothing bothers you now, it will after you get married. And I, I am not one of those doom and gloom people like, oh, you, you just wait till you get married, you know? You know, the honeymoon will be over. And like, I hate when people say that. I, I feel like I'm still on my honeymoon with Gary, all right? So I don't buy into that. But the truth is, there are things about Gary and I that annoy each other. And we didn't see it before we got married. Now, if he was up here, he could tell you stories about me, but he's not, I'm up here, so I get to tell the stories. I did, oh, he does have a mic, (laughs) cute. I did not know I married a shuffler. Now, you're gonna say, what's the big deal? I'm telling you, once you're married and you're in the same house, things like that will drive you up a wall. I didn't know he was a shuffler, especially when he doesn't wear shoes. And I'll hear it around the house, and it just, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And I'll be like, just lift your feet. Like, how hard is this, you know? So I say that to be funny. He, there are things about me that are annoying, I have no doubt. There's probably a longer list about me than about him. But I'm just saying, that's not the kind of thing that you run for the hills about, right? I mean, you can put up with it. It, it annoys me less than it used to, but like, it's, I'm probably never going to love it. Like, oh, there's my cute little shuffler, you know? Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that point, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. All right. Now, and, and I don't want you to be thinking I'm up here trashing him. I don't, I don't play that game. I don't do that. If you're around us, you know that we don't do that. But You cannot fixate on this point. Stop looking for the perfect person because he or she doesn't exist. You can't fixate on this point without attaching it to the previous point about the red flags. It's like chips and salsa, right? Salsa's good, so are the chips. You put them together, that's a win, okay? So you've got to figure out how how to listen for the red flags and also hold in your heart the fact that you're not going to marry the perfect person. And that is something that you are going to have to walk out with the power of the Holy Spirit within you, giving you discernment. Now, um, here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes you will learn something about somebody and you are going to have to walk away. 
All right, I, I know several people that tried to marry somebody because they thought they could fix what was wrong. They thought they could heal what was, what was broken. Gary and I help to heal each other all the time, but I think sometimes people get into a relationship and they try to do God's job, and God's saying, you know what? This isn't your job. Like, it's my, it's my job to deal with this broken. And if you jump into this relationship now, you're going to both be broken. And so there are times where, and I think what happens is you're like, well, they're already hurting, and I don't want to make the hurt worse. And, that, and that's a valid concern. Our heart is never to hurt people. But don't, don't step in and get yourself in a situation that was, it was God's job to jump in there and not yours. On the other hand, you cannot underestimate the power of grace and forgiveness. You cannot underestimate that. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, most of us have made mistakes or done things that we are not proud of. Gary and I both have things that we are not proud of, things that we would like to do over. That's, that's just reality. I mean, good grief. <laughs> you just think about the thoughts you've had, thoughts alone, right? We're not even talking things you've acted on. I'd be embarrassed and ashamed for y'all to know some of the thoughts I've had, all right? So, uh, you know, there, there is this place for grace and forgiveness and understanding that I'm not the perfect person and neither are they. And you've got to learn to ride that line between grace and truth. And here's how that works. Truth says, this is a really hard thing and it matters and we're going to have to talk about it even though it's hard. But grace says, I am confident with the help of God, we can navigate this and get to the other side. That's what it looks like. Truth and grace working together. And so if you're wearing the same lenses, you're going to look at that situation from the same perspective. And so the person who maybe needs the forgiveness, and, and you're both going to need it. Like by the time we're both 100, Lord willing, like it's going to be pretty even between who has more things to apologize for, okay? But the person who has erred will understand what grace, what the grace of God looks like coming from you. You can offer that to them as a real live human, and the person who's doing the forgiving in this situation is understanding what it feels like. You're, you're participating in the heart of Christ in offering grace and forgiveness to somebody else. And that's, that's possible, people. It is possible. Isaiah 38, 17. This is my favorite word picture for forgiveness, okay? So, you know, there's the scripture that talks about as far as, as the east is from the west. That's how far his re, he has removed our sins from us. And that's a great word picture. But I like this one even better. This is Hezekiah talking in Isaiah 38, 17. He says, in your love, you have kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. I want you to think about that. If, if these are my sins and the Lord's like, I'm just, I'm going to put them right back here. Guess what? He's not looking at them. And you can't either. If you're looking at him, you're not going to see your sins either. They're not going to be your focus anymore either. I love that picture. And so sometimes in relationships, whether it's dating or marriage, doesn't matter. Sometimes we have to be the one to say, like, I see it, 
And you know what? I'm just going to put that thing behind my back. And I'm not going to look at it. It's not going to be the focus for me. And guess what? It doesn't have to be the focus for you either. It's back here. Just like Gary was talking about tonight with the, the, the shift in your focus, what you're focusing on. We have counseled a lot of couples over the years, dating, engaged, and married. We've seen a lot of tears, a lot of people who had things that they needed to make right between each other. And I'm telling you, you'll both let each other down eventually in some way, just because you're human. But if someone is repentant, and if they've demonstrated that they are living in a whole new way, God can redeem that. He can absolutely redeem it. I think it's possible that the power of God can't just change a life, it can change a lifetime. Totally change a lifetime. We have really good friends, and um, when they started dating, he confessed to her that he had been sexually active with a previous girlfriend. And, and not, all, not all sins are sexual in nature. Many of them are, not all of them. There's many ways we can disappoint each other. But he had to confess that to her. And you know what? She made the decision to put it behind her back and not make it the focus. They had to talk about it. There were some hard conversations and some hard times. But they've been happily married for a really, really long time. God redeemed that. He absolutely redeemed it. I remember, some of you know our daughter Molly and her husband Dusty. Several weeks after they were married, she texted me this. She said about Dusty, I freaking hit the jackpot. You know what? You get to feel that way too. Like that's the heart of God for you. My, my hope is that I get a text from every single one of you three weeks after you're married saying, I freaking hit the jackpot. So that's, that's what God wants for you. Not perfection. I didn't, I didn't freaking marry perfection. <laughs> you know, I hit the jackpot. That's where it's at. My last point is this. Remember this. Truth is better than fiction. Truth is better than fiction. I mean, there's power in stories. How about it? It like gets our attention. It lifts our spirits. Who doesn't love a happy ending? Who doesn't love a good romantic comedy where the guy and the girl get together in the end? Like back in my day, man, it's still my favorite. And I don't, I don't like a lot of this kind of movie, but like while you were sleeping, hands down, favorite romantic comedy ever. Love it. I have probably watched that thing 50 times and I'm not exaggerating. Love it. I miss the girls living at home. <laughs> so we don't really watch that anymore, do we? I loved it. I texted my girls. I'm like, hey, so what movies do your, does your generation like? And they were like, The Kissing Booth. And I'm like, yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit I watched it. <laughs> Cheesy, but you know. Another Cinderella story or a Cinderella story. How about, there's like a million Cinderella remakes, right? And they're all just kind of fun. Let's just be honest. And I don't know about you, but I make up sequels in my head. Like for while you were sleeping, I've made up a sequel about their lives afterward and like their family and what their lives are like. And I mean, it's totally stupid, but like, I just want to know what happened next? What happened next? But I'm telling you, truth is better than fiction. God writes better stories than this. He really does. God writes better stories than Hilary Duff kissing Chad Michael Murray in the rain at a football game. God writes better stories than that. And that's a fun scene, let me tell you. I don't believe, 
I don't believe in remarkable coincidences, but I do believe, I do believe in remarkable circumstances engineered by a remarkable God. That I do believe in. I think it's remarkable that of all the people in the world, one man and one woman will notice each other. And it's like, you know, the night I met Gary, I was there with my best friend, the one that always had a boyfriend, and he noticed me. And he was there with three other guys, and some of them were, you know, had more dates than he did, and he couldn't believe I noticed him. But like, that's the way God works. Couldn't have predicted that. One of my favorite love stories, this is truth, not fiction, is the story of Ruth and Boaz. And some of you have heard me talk about this, and I've prayed this over some of you. I've prayed this over some of you at home when you didn't know I was praying it over you. But just, just a little background. You know, Ruth loses her first husband. He passes away, and she says to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law Naomi says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my hometown of Bethlehem. Because Naomi lost her husband, and she lost both of her sons, and she's got these two daughters-in-law who are now widowed. And, and Ruth decides she's going to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. It's easy to romanticize this story, but I don't think for a minute that Ruth thought to herself, I bet there's some really hot guys back in Bethlehem. I don't think she was thinking that at all. She just went back to love and support her mother-in-law. And then when she said, hey, I'm going to go out and collect some grain, you know, after the threshers are done in the field and, you know, they drop some things, I'm going to go collect some. I don't think for a minute she was like, I'm going to wear my best dress and make sure I do my hair really nice because there might be some really cute threshers out in the field. She wasn't thinking that, people. She wasn't. This was all designed by God. And this is the part that I love. Ruth 2 verse 3 says this, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I think I have clam there, sorry. From the clan, (laughs) yeah, the clan of Elimelech. I love that. As it turned out, it sounds so casual and so unplanned. Ruth just happened to be there in Boaz's field. And if you know the rest of the story, Boaz is one of those who's next in line to redeem Ruth. And so he marries her and they have a child. They name him Obed and he ends up being the grandfather of King David. And so out of this story of great tragedy and loss with her first husband, God redeems it and he says, I'm gonna set you up with Boaz and you are gonna be part of the family line of King David and of the savior. Ruth gets to be part of that story. I want that to build anticipation in your heart. Not panic, like when is it my turn? Let it build anticipation that God has an as it turned out for you. He has an as it turned out. Let me tell you a few as it turns outs. This is why I'm not giving you a formula, okay? Listen to a few of these stories. As it turned out, my dad met my mom when she was 14 and he was 16 and they happened to be swimming in the same creek. My dad was there with his friend Mark, who happened to be my mom's uncle. And my dad threw a tennis ball, and it whapped my mom in the face. And so she got out of the creek, and she was on the bank crying. And my poor dad was so humiliated, and he forced himself to go over and apologize to this little weeping 14-year-old girl. Sorry I threw the ball and hit you in the face, or you know, whatever. Now, was it love at first sight? No. 
Did they start dating the next day? No. But you know what? A couple years down the road, lo and behold, my mom and dad start dating and they get married. And here's me. As it turned out, my sister Gail met her husband Scott at a youth group New Year's Eve party. And when she walked in, and I mean, this sounds so cheesy, he was so struck by her beauty. She was new. She wasn't from his youth group. He was so struck that he went over and he made his dad drive him home to change pants because he was embarrassed about the pants he was wearing and he wanted to wear different pants. So his dad drove him home, brought him back, and, you know, they were really young. They didn't start dating right then either. But as it turned out, that's when they met. That's when they met. As it turned out, and some of you know this story, our daughter Molly met her husband Dusty at Lifeway Church's Discovery Pathway. She sat beside him in the class. She has no memory of this, by the way. But she looked at him and said, nice shirt. And he was just thunderstruck because he couldn't believe that a girl had complimented him on anything. He was just flabbergasted. And his friends, Sean and Cheryl Adams, who a lot of you know from Lifeway, they were there. And so they were like nudging him and like teasing him all night. Molly was clueless to any of this going on. They didn't start dating right away, but a little seed was planted. And sometime down the road, as it turned out, they started dating. And now they're married. As it turned out, Gary's mother became a widow when she was 53. His dad passed away from brain cancer. And lo and behold, the gentleman who lived in the farm right across the road, their families had lived across the road from each other their, almost their whole married lives, and they had been friends. He lost his wife to cancer the following year. And the two of them just started hanging out because it was, it was somebody to take along if you were going to like a wedding or a banquet and you needed a date. And it was somebody who understood what it was like to be widowed when you're middle-aged. And as it turned out, the two of them fell in love and decided to get married. She married the man, the neighbor man across the road that she had known her whole married life. And she said, you know what? I knew he would be good to me because I watched the way he treated his first wife. And he was always kind to her, so I knew he'd be kind to me. As it turned out, they've been married for 20 years now. As it turned out, remarkable circumstances engineered by a remarkable God. We had a group of Lifeway couples over for dinner last fall, and we asked them to go around and tell us all their story, their as it turned out. How did you meet? And oh my goodness, that was fun. We had Bill and Kathy Dubble. We had um, the, the Hess children who are here, Kelly and Dan Hess. They were there that night. Travis and Danielle Gundrum. Um, Ken and Daph Kime. And Chad and Stacy Helenthal. And I mean, as we heard these stories, guys, they were so rich. And there were no cookie cutter stories. Some stories were funny. Some there was like great misunderstanding and miscommunication. Uh, some of them came, were, were birthed out of tragedy and loss. Everybody's story was different, but they all had their as it turned out. And it was so awesome to see the way God worked in all of their lives. Let the richness of other people's stories encourage you and spur you on. There are no duplicates. There are only originals. And your story will be original to you. You'll be the first and only one to live your story. And as it turns out, it's going to be pretty remarkable too. 
you might feel disappointed that we've reached the end of the night and I didn't give you a formula. You shouldn't be shocked because I told you I wasn't going to. I just really wanted to speak to you from my heart about what I feel God's word says and and just scriptural truth you can apply to your lives. And so you might be sitting there thinking, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? I just saw a post right before we came here, Aaron and Brittany Patches, Aaron is our youth pastor. Today's their five-year anniversary. Gary and I had the privilege of being there at their wedding. Probably my favorite vows ever. I, I didn't even know Brittany at that point, and I sat there and wept. They're, they were so beautiful. And you know what? Brittany was almost 30 when she married Aaron, and she wondered why it took so long to find him. And she said in her post, you were worth all the prayers and the waiting. You were worth all the prayers and the waiting. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. You go home and you start praying for your special boy or your special girl. And you're not just praying that God leads you together. That's part of it. But you can be praying that God will give you peace while you're waiting. Ask the Lord to keep you focused on what's important. Pray for your future spouse in all the ways you pray for yourself. Pray about their job, pray about their family. Pray about you know, their integrity, pray about their purity, pray about all of these things, just like you would for you. Be praying for them now. Pray about who you should ask out, pray about who you should say yes to. Pray that God will make the red flags obvious and that you don't miss them. And pray that God will give you grace to marry an imperfect person and model what love and forgiveness looks like as a gift from the Father's heart. Pray about your fears, let the Lord know. Pray that God will give you a story, your own as it turned out, that you can share with other people and encourage them that it is worth the prayers and the waiting. Pray that God will help you demonstrate a marriage that is faithful and true and strong, no matter what. You know, I thought about ministry time tonight and I was like, well, I could say, you know, raise your hand if you'd like prayer. And I was like, seriously, every single person in this room needs prayer because either you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'd really like to find my person or you're thinking, I haven't found my person and I'm scared. Or you're thinking, I'm already engaged and now I'm scared. Like, how do I make sure our marriage lasts? And so I'm just gonna ask you all to bow your heads. I'm just gonna pray for all of you. God, you know that this is a really big deal. You know that this grips our hearts. You know that this kind of stuff keeps us up at night. You know that this kind of stuff makes us feel like we are not good enough, that we've missed the boat or that we've, we've just lost out. And none of that is true according to your word because your word says that your eye is always on us. Your, eye, your word says that you are for us and not against us. Your word says you love us with an everlasting love. Your word says that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Your word says you have good works planned in advance for us to do. So your, your word actually offers us nothing but hope when it comes to this idea of dating and marriage. And so any of that other stuff we're listening to has gotta be either based on our own fears and insecurities or lies that are straight from the pit of hell. And so tonight I come against all those other voices in the name of Jesus. And I just say that all these precious ones in this room, 
Their ears will be protected from the lies and the schemes and the plans and the whispers of the enemy. And that every place where there has been hopelessness or defeat, I just declare that tonight you are going to breathe life. You are going to breathe hope because you're good and your word says what you do is good. And we wanna rest in that tonight. God, I thank you. I thank you for my marriage and I thank you for all the hard things that you have sustained us through. And I, I pray that over every single person in this room, that if the, if the desire of their heart is to be married, that you will give them their as it turned out and the next chapter will start to be written. God, I pray for healing where there have been wounds, where people have felt rejected. God, would you come into those tender places right now tonight and just minister your peace and your healing in a way that only you can. There are no human words that can make that ache go away, but there is a God and there is a Holy Spirit that can do it for us. And so I'm asking you, God, to come into those places of pain and rejection and hurt. God, for those in the room that feel like they have made some mistakes in the past and maybe it's spilling over, maybe yesterday is spilling over into today, I just declare that your word says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old is gone. The old, some of you need to hear that, the old is gone and the new has come. You are not the same person you were back then. You are a whole new you. And no matter what has happened, God's plans for you have never changed. He has never wavered once. It is not too late. And so God, I thank you that you are a God of redemption for every single one of us in this room, for the places where we have failed, the places where we've been selfish, the places where we've made it about us instead of about you and about other people. God, make us more like you. Make us people of character. Make us people of love. Make us people of sacrifice and a willingness to lay ourselves down for the sake of the other person, because that's what you did for us. And we wanna be like you. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you were here tonight. And I thank you that you can take the things that I said and you can, you can, you can make them hit every single ear in this room in a different way. You know exactly what each person needed to hear tonight. And I speak grace, I say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's only just the tenderness of God holding out his hand and saying, come on, let me show you a better way. And I thank you that you're faithful to see it through God. You're, you're good. You are a good God. And we declare that even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it, you are good. We stand on your truth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.